Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we begin a brand new series called Under Pressure, Instructions for God's People. So turning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. If you're not paying attention, well, you haven't noticed, but many of us, well, we have been paying attention. The cultural difference between Christians who live faithfully to the gospel and those who do not is ever widening. It's not a brilliant revelation. It's really obvious. You know, I like to say when I went to elementary school, it was required that all Canadian school children would hear a Bible reading, then say the Lord's Prayer, and then after singing the national anthem, classes would begin. What was then required by law is now illegal. It's a vast understatement to say that things have changed. Now, don't hear me bemoaning the matter. I simply point it out. A nation that was once called a dominion is now almost never referred to as that. See, the term dominion was chosen because of Psalm 72, verse 8, the prayer that the God of the Bible would have dominion from sea to sea. Again, things have changed, and I'm not speaking to bemoan the fact. I point it out because for some... They've not yet become accustomed to the reality. And from the perspective of some Christians, whether it's the the teaching on sexuality in the public school that are an affront to Christian sexual ethics, or whether it's a bill that threatens potential jail time if one tries to convince someone contrary to the sexual mores of the day. I mean, many Christians just look shocked. They seem bewildered, not knowing what to do. Now, it's not just here in this country. You know, I recently spoke with a dear Christian who spoke of the increase of violence against Christians in his particular country, and I won't mention the name of that land. But he said, I don't understand. I mean, we teach Christians to obey their government wherever we can, and we certainly teach that we need to love all and to do good to all, even to our enemies. I mean, how can we be the target of violence? Well, whether it's some subtle pressure or overt persecution, this sense of unease that comes from being strangers in whatever country we live is never a pleasant experience. And that's because no one wants to be excluded or marginalized or viewed by others as a person of suspicious ethics. We want to belong and fit in and be loved and appreciated. We don't want our motives questioned. We don't want our values criticized. We don't want to feel like we're pariahs of the culture in which we live. We want harmony and safety and a good reputation and to live out our days in peace. And the only problem with this very understandable and natural desire is that that's not what Jesus promised us. And furthermore, I'm beginning a new series today in the New Testament book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter 4 verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, the words fiery trial can be translated in a number of ways. No one doubts that soldiers who are in the midst of a fierce and pitched battle are in a fiery trial. I mean, comrades are being killed all around them, and they don't know whether they're going to live or die. Or... No one doubts a fiery trial when the secret police come and drag you into prison. But not all fiery trials are that extreme. The book of 1 Peter is written to a certain group of Christian believers who are located in a given time and at a certain point in history. Let me begin with the beginning of the book. 1 Peter 1 verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. 
That's a very simple beginning. This is a letter written by Peter, the apostle of Jesus, and also the leader of the apostolic band. And he's writing in his words to the elect exiles of the dispersion. Well, another translation might read to chosen sojourners of the dispersion. So let's find out a little bit about the people Peter is writing to, and let's see if we can learn something about the fiery trial they were undergoing and why it is that Peter says, look, you shouldn't be surprised that you're going through this. And once we've understood their situation, we're going to be in a good place to find out whether or not something of this book, while it might also apply to what Christians are facing today. You know, elect exiles or chosen sojourners, it's an interesting description. And I say that because that description might remind us of other biblical examples. Genesis 23, verse 4, Abraham told the people of Canaan, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner among you. That is, I don't have land here. I'm not a citizen of this country. I'm on a journey. But that's not just said of Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11 is that very interesting chapter in the Bible that tells us of the great men and women of faith that have gone before us. And Hebrews 11 verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were, listen, strangers and exiles on the earth. That is, they thought that the countries they lived in were were not their homes. They were strangers having been exiled from the dominant culture of the day. Now, how then do we understand that phrase, elect exiles? Who actually is Peter addressing in this letter? And I think the answer is that he's addressing a group of Christians whom Peter wants to think of themselves in a given way. They were to think of themselves as aliens, yeah? They lived in a given place, but wherever it was that they were living, that was not their permanent home. They were on a journey. And in the end, they were journeying to the celestial city. And so this world was not their permanent residence. Well, the world's full of all kinds of people who live in one place without having a citizenship there. You know, I studied for years in the U.S. And while there, my wife and I had what was called then a resident alien card. And well, I used to joke that they thought that we were from another planet. I mean, why else were we being called aliens? Well, that's the idea. Your citizenship is from another place. And that's not all what Peter calls them. He calls them elect exiles or chosen sojourners, chosen travelers to another country, chosen, elect. The Greek word is the word electos. It's used 22 times in the New Testament. It refers to God who does the choosing. You know, we might think of God's chosen people in the Old Testament or Paul's use of the term in Ephesians 1, where he says that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Well, at any rate, the people Peter is addressing are those who belong to God, for God has called them as his own, and those who are presently in a place to which they don't ultimately belong. And what's more, as we've already seen, they were undergoing a fiery trial. But Peter still has one more word that defines the identity of his hearers. They're elect exiles of the dispersion, he says. Now, in Peter's time, it was quite common to speak of the Jewish people of the diaspora, the dispersion. These were Jews that were scattered in various countries of the world, but as we read through 1 Peter, we're going to see that Peter doesn't have only Jews in mind. He's speaking of both Jewish and Gentile Christians. They are, in his mind, dispersed in the various countries where they live, but they all belong to another place. And that's important as we begin to read this letter. 
See, this one line sets the stage for everything else we're going to read. And as we go through this letter, we will see that these Christians are suffering, but everything keeps coming back to their identity. You're suffering because you don't belong to this place. You belong somewhere else, and that's the key. And I need to stop here and point out that's how Christians of every era and in every place on earth are instructed to think about themselves. If you come to be a follower of Jesus, you've become a stranger and an exile. You're going to find that you're on a journey to the celestial city, and the land of your present is not your home. Bear that in mind, especially if you find yourself hard-pressed, or if you suffer loss, or if you suffer disappointment. This present country is not your home. Nothing here was supposed to be the object of your desires. Well, very good. But who, in effect, are the people that Peter is writing to? And you'll notice that Peter addresses people who are in Pontus, then Galatia, then Cappadocia, then Asia, and Bithynia. Well, Peter's addressing churches in five different areas or regions. And the five areas he mentions were all in what's now the nation of Turkey. But in the time of writing, there was no such nation. Instead, these were five areas that were administrative districts of the Roman Empire. Indeed, if you go ahead to the book of Revelation, written some 30 years after 1 Peter, and Revelation begins by addressing seven individual churches, and they are all in roughly the same area that Peter is addressing here. So what do we know about the Christians who lived in this area? You know, after 1 Peter in the time of Revelation, yeah, they were hard-pressed by persecution. How about during the time of 1 Peter? Was the persecution as difficult as it would be later on? Well, we know that Christians were facing ever-increasing persecution, and that included social ostracism, unfriendly acts by neighbors, pressures on Christian wives from their pagan husbands, pagan masters taking it out on Christian slaves. It was becoming increasingly difficult to be a believer. It was beginning to look like a fiery trial. In Deuteronomy 11:19, we find instruction on our commitment to the teaching of the Bible. We are to teach His Word to our children, wherever we are, at any time of day. And that's the significance of our 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner Program. So if you choose to join this monthly program, you're partnering with us to ensure that Bible teaching is being taught faithfully and abundantly. One monthly partner said, if your heart is to see Christians grow in maturity in their walk with the Lord and to see lives transformed and turned towards Jesus, I would encourage you to support the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada through their 1119 Fellowship Program. To join or for more information, or to offer a single gift towards our dollar-for-dollar fiscal year-end match campaign, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. So let's set the stage for the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter was written by Peter, the apostle of Jesus. It was Peter who had become the leader of the apostolic band. And and many remember that at the trial of Jesus, it was Peter who had denied Jesus. But study John chapter 21, and you'll find out that Jesus fully restored Peter to his place of leadership. 
And remember that on the day of Pentecost, that it was Peter who preached the first ever Christian sermon in which 3,000 people were converted. Peter had also given primary leadership to the first ever Christian church in Jerusalem. And it was Peter who was the first Christian preacher to enter into a Gentile centurion's home and to lead this man and his household to Christ. It was also Peter, as recorded in Acts 15, who gave primary leadership to the church to accept Gentiles fully as a part of the people of God. I could say so much more about Peter. Church history tells us that the Gospel of Mark was written under Peter's leadership in which he directed Mark as to what he should write. However, we also know that Peter gave primary leadership to the ministry of the Jews, and it was Paul who would give primary leadership to the ministry of the Gentiles. But by the time of the writing of 1 Peter, probably written between AD 62 to 64, a great portion of the new church of Jesus was now Gentile, and Peter was never unaware of that phenomena. And so as we read through 1 Peter, we're going to see signs that Peter is addressing people who are both Jews and Gentiles. So where was Peter when he wrote this letter? And the answer is found in 1 Peter 5.13. There he writes, She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark my son. No, no, Peter was not referring to the ancient city of Babylon. But by this time, Rome had, at least among Christians, come to be known as Babylon. Just like Babylon of old that persecuted Israel, so also Rome was thought to be the seat of rebellion against God, and it had become an enemy of believers. Now, when did Peter arrive in Rome? Well, it's clear from reading the greetings at the end of Paul's letter to the Roman Christians in the book of Romans that Peter was not there during that time. I mean, Paul would have mentioned Peter by name had he been there then. So Peter never planted the church in Rome, and he probably arrived in Rome somewhere around AD 62, and that's significant. Because at that time, Nero had become the emperor of Rome. Now, some of you who are listening to me might remember that Nero reigned as emperor from 54 to 68. He's known for his sexual debauchery, his political murders, as well as his persecution of Christians. You might also remember that it was in 64 that Nero burned down a portion of Rome, presumably to make room for his palace. Well, the fire got out of control and it burned down a huge section of the city. He then blamed the fire on Christians and condemned many of them to death. And it's believed that both Peter and Paul were executed by Nero during that purge. And so let's return to this letter. Peter had just arrived in Rome to encourage and teach the church there. He's unaware that in a short period of time, he's going to be crucified by an order of the emperor. But he's writing to believers in the Roman districts that were in what is now the nation of Turkey, and he's encouraging them to remain faithful in the midst of a fiery trial. After all, they're elect exiles and strangers on the earth. Now then, that sets the stage for the letter. But what's the letter all about? Well, this book is instructions to believers who are living in difficult times. You know, in a way, we might think of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19 as the theme of the entire book. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, that's a mouthful. When you suffer, entrust your soul to God, being confident that your God is sovereign over all. Don't be panicked. Don't be fearful. Don't doubt your faith. Entrust your soul to God. And when you do, keep on doing good. 
Don't shut down the calling on your life. And Peter is going to tell his readers a great deal about being the people of God who do good in the midst of a fiery trial. Now then, as we read through this book, let's ask ourselves what we're going to find just to anticipate this study and why we should be keenly interested in this book. We could divide this book into three sections. After the introduction, which only takes up the first two verses, the first section, which I would argue takes us from chapter 1, verse 3 to chapter 2, verse 10, is all about the unique characteristics of the Christian life. Now, this is the section that not only deals with the greatness of our salvation, but it also lays out a fundamental teaching on what it means to be a Christian, including the living of a holy life. Then the second section of the book takes us from chapter 2, verse 11 to chapter 3, verse 12. And here, in light of what we've said earlier, Peter talks about how Christians ought to conduct themselves, especially in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile. And all of us who read this today will want to take special interest in this because of the natural tendency that we all have to be reactive and hostile towards those who are hostile against us. But the Christian ethic is unique. Instead of sounding off and writing scathing messages on social media, We need to learn the lessons of this second section. Then the third section of the book, and that takes us from chapter 313 to 511. And here Peter will directly address the matter of persecution and of opposition. Believers are to remember Jesus. We're to remember how he bore up under suffering. And that tells us something about how Christians were to bear up under suffering as well. They're to be self-controlled and sober-minded and always praying and never grumbling. They're to rejoice because they've been given the privilege of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Well, that's just a foretaste of what we're going to study. But another thing needs to be added. One writer lists the themes that are found in this brief letter. He says, anyone studying this book will run across such themes as the holiness of life, sufferings of Christ, suffering as a Christian, God's sovereignty in salvation and in all of life, the grace of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, the church as the new people of God, the reality of the unseen spiritual world, and trusting God no matter the circumstances. See, I think you might agree, that's quite a mouthful. And that's led a number of Bible teachers to muse as to how to best use this book. One author has said that it would not be difficult to use this letter as a manual for a class on church membership or as preparation for baptism. So much about what it means to believe and to live as a Christian is found in this short book. Now, of course, as we're going to find, our circumstances are different from the circumstances of the recipients of the letter. Most of us are not facing the madness of an emperor who not only had sexual relations with his mother, then murdered her, and then murdered anyone else who got in the way. Caesar at that time was surely a madman, and Christians were vulnerable. But the theme of being exiles and strangers, well, that's the theme we should begin with. Do you, if you're a believer, know who you are? You're a citizen of heaven, not the culture of this earth. That's the place to begin. Now, as we have begun the letter, let's read the first two verses, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1-2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, that's an important description of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
Not only are you in exile, but you're one, says Peter, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The word foreknow means so much more than that God knows a fact before it happens. It refers to God knowing his people personally long before they came into being. It's what Paul said when he said, you're chosen in him before the foundations of the earth. And it's what God said to Jeremiah the prophet when he said, look, long before you were born, I knew you personally and appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. See, that's what Peter is saying. You're already elect exiles from eternity past. Never forget your unique place in the Father's eternal purposes. Then says Peter, you not only became elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, but also in sanctification of the Spirit. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is that process where the Holy Spirit works to incrementally, throughout the process of our lifetime, make us more and more like Christ. We're growing in holiness. And this, says Peter, is for a purpose, for obedience to Jesus Christ, that is, to conform to his will. You know, the mark of the believer is that the believer obeys Jesus in all things, and then his purpose is sealed when the blood of Jesus, given for our forgiveness, was sprinkled on us. I wonder if you've noticed something about the introduction to this book. The Father chose you. The Spirit is sanctifying you. The Son is the one who has cleansed you by his blood. Christian people, hard-pressed and persecuted, do you know who you are? You're the people of the triune God. You're exiles and strangers on earth, but you're not strangers to the one triune God who has called you. Thanks so much, John. You know, I think we've been in an interesting time historically in North America where it would seem society has supported Christian values to a degree, but is that the norm or or should it be the norm? Yeah, the the first question is, is it the norm? And the answer is definitely not. Uh, This has been a unique time in history. Uh, It is uh, the normal experience of believers throughout history that uh, they suffer for their faith. Um, So should it be the norm? Well, that's a difficult question to answer as well. I mean, we're always grateful uh, when we have a government that allows us to, you know, worship freely and uh, give ourselves to our ministry. Um, However, I do know that the Christian faith is built uh, to be a faith that is countercultural and uh, bears up under suffering. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Under Pressure, Instructions for God's People, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Back to the Bible Canada is approaching its fiscal year end, making June a financially critical month for the ministry. Over these past few years, Back to the Bible Canada has been committed to ensuring that in unpredictable times, you can rely on our Bible teaching and engagement resources to provide the comfort and guidance of God's Word. This year, to ensure we reach our goal, a few generous ministry friends who share our heart for Bible teaching have offered to help us reach our year-end target of $409,000 by pledging to match every dollar you donate up to $100,000. This will double the impact of your gift. There is no better time to consider supporting this ministry than right now. We'd be so grateful for any gift you might choose to give. So for more information or to donate, call us at 1-800-663-2425. 
2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.